Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer here with JJ Cooper to break down a wild first two games, each of the ALCS and NLCS. Astros and Red Sox are tied at one game apiece and the Braves lead the Dodgers two games to none. JJ, we're going to start with this Dodgers-Braves series. First and foremost, another thrilling game. Last night we had two walk-off winners over the weekend. Austin Riley in game one, Eddie Rosario in game two. On the one hand, the Braves are absolutely sitting pretty right now. On the other hand, it was only last year the Braves were up 2-0 in an NLCS against the Dodgers and ended up losing it in seven games. When you look at where this series stands right now, do you like the Braves' chances better this year? How do you kind of assess where things stand? I like them better this year, but it's not as much about the Braves that I like it better. I mean, this maybe as good a time as any to trying to figure out how the uh, the – the Dodgers pitching rotation is going to work the rest of the series is where I feel really good for the Braves because I just look at it and you say, okay, let's even give game three Bueller versus Morton slight advantage Dodgers, baby, if you want to, although both teams feel good, feel very good about who they're sending to the mound that day. Game four, game five, game six, game seven. It's a mess, and it's the Dodgers' own fault. And we are going to jump into that. I am fully prepared to go completely in on them for just an utter mismanagement of their pitching staff, both in terms of how they line up their rotation and their bullpen. But first, I do want to give the Braves credit here. So first and foremost, they've had some tremendously timely hits. And while their base running and defense certainly hasn't been perfect, they've made fewer mistakes than the Dodgers have. Timely hits, fewer mistakes – that's a good formula for winning any time of year, but especially in the postseason. I do want to talk about Ron Washington's send in the eighth inning. And first and foremost, very, very aggressive send, but I absolutely think it's the right thing to do, even if Eddie Rosario gets thrown out there. And let's give Eddie Rosario credit. Eighth inning, down two, trying to make something happen. And I understand if you hold him up, one out, Austin Riley's up, and he's been the Braves' best hitter. And I can see that argument, but I like the idea of forcing the issue. I like the idea of making the Dodgers make a play. I thought it was a great send and a great execution by Eddie Rosario. Now, Eddie Rosario's tag up from first, that was one we were like, eesh, but hey, it worked. So give him credit there. But on the whole, I, I do think that before we go into how the Dodgers have really messed things up for themselves, give the Braves a lot of credit. And I will say game one, Max Fried versus a bullpen game, that's absolutely advantage Braves. That was a huge opportunity for them to go up 1-0. And they took advantage. It took them a little while and give the Dodgers bullpen credit for keeping that game tied as late as they did. But if you're the Braves, that's a game you have to win. And they did. And then for them to go out and win game two, taking advantage of Dodgers mistakes, it was big for them. That's a great comeback win. The Braves are feeling great about themselves. And I want to give them credit before we go into everything the Dodgers did wrong, because truthfully, the Braves have done a lot of things right. I agree with you on the sins. Being aggressive... (laughs) One thing that it makes teams do, you have to then execute. 
Steven Seuss's throw wasn't great. It really actually had some pop power to it. He just he kind of threw it on a wrong angle, all that, like not a great line. All those things together, it was something where you forced the Dodgers to execute every part of that play well, and they didn't. And that's the kind of thing where we've seen this on both sides. The flip side of that is the Dodgers have been running crazy on the Braves and have had no trouble stealing second, especially at the top of the order, whenever they want, which is extra bases as well. Doing this kind of being aggressive like this, one of the things I think you have to love about this series is, as just a fan, is it has been a series where defense, base running, difficult, long at-bats, there's been – there's been all those other aspects of the game that sometimes we hear like, oh, it's kind of it's now just walks and homers. This is, that was a game last night where that game was decided by base runners going first to home, second to home, speeding around the bases. Teams, flip side of that, Guillermo Heredia misses a ball coming in on it thinks about whether he's going to dive to catch it, pulls up, the ball gets under his glove with the bases loaded. If Jock Peterson doesn't back that ball up, as soon as that ball got under his glove and you see Heredia's entire body sag, doesn't go chasing it, like, why did I do that? I thought three runs. But it, was, it wasn't three runs because Jock Peterson was really quick getting over there and backing it up. That there were a lot of those little subtle plays last night, and that's the thing that I always love to see in a, in a close, tight game like that. It's a lot of little things it takes to win. Making the opponent make a play is always a right way to go about it. And as far as that play, there's no question. You felt for Guillermo Heredia. Again, two outs in that situation. You're going to be aggressive on that ball, just whiffed on it. But again, the Braves are doing a lot of things right, and it's important to note that. And look, they're up 2-0. Realistically, you expected them to be 1-1 after these two games. Again, game one was going to be the Braves game to win. And if they didn't, it was going to be because they did something wrong. Max Fried versus bullpen game at home against a tired team that just flew across the country on one day's rest. You should win that game. So that was big. But last night was uh, the Dodgers handed them a gift and the Braves said thank you. And they took advantage. They were pretty dramatic about it, but there's nothing wrong with a little drama. JJ, are you ready for my, uh, not rant, but are you ready for me to go? Oh, okay, let me, let me tee it up. So the, the Dodgers went into yesterday coming off of effectively a bullpen game in game one, but also bringing back Max Scherzer, who they knew was not going to be at 100%. So I'm just setting you up here. So that part is all I would say that is a, an understandable outcome of pitching Scherzer in get, to win, to get you through the final inning, whether they, you know, of the division series. But then, but then, uh, out comes jogging out of the bullpen, the Dodgers starter for game four, or, or so we thought, Julio Urias, and, and Kyle, take it away. So, I want to go back to the NLDS. The way the NLDS played out, the way the Dodgers chose to attack game five, they had to go to a bullpen game, game one. I saw some people theorizing, oh, could they turn around and go Scherzer? No, that would have been a horrible decision. And again, it's just the way things played out. We could go back and relitigate the NLDS, but it's over, it's done, it is what it is. 
So now how do you attack this NLCS? Bullpen game, game one, that is the right thing to do. That's what they have to do. That's the situation they're in. Go for it. The thing that never made sense, and as they were talking about how they're going to line this up, when they start talking about Max Scherzer game two, Walker Bueller's on full rest on Sunday. He pitched on Tuesday. He's ready to go on full rest for game two. The night after a bullpen game where you know you need your starter to go as deep as possible, who's more likely to give you that? The ace you have who's on full rest or the ace who threw a high-intensity emotional inning three days earlier? That's not a hard question. And for some reason, the only way it is excusable for them to have gone Scherzer over Bueller in game two is if Walker Bueller went to Dave Roberts' office or talked to him on the plane and said, hey, I need a few more days. I'm not responding the way I normally do because I pitched on short rest last week. I need a few extra days. If Walker Bueller did that, and maybe that happened and we're not privy to that, then okay. But short of that, Throwing Max Scherzer in game two made zero sense. He gives you four and a third innings. I acknowledge as he's tired the day after a bullpen game. It just put the Dodgers in a, in a really, really bad position. Everything they needed to get in game two, Max Scherzer couldn't give them. So starting Walker Bueller game two was the obvious solution that they seemingly never even discussed as a possibility, starting Scherzer instead. So that's mistake number one. And realistically, they should never have been in the position to mismanage their bullpen like they did if they had just made the right decision about who starts the game. And there's very clearly a right and wrong decision here. This is not an interpretation matter. Ace on full rest is better than the guy who isn't, especially following a bullpen game. The second part of that is even with that, they still found themselves ahead four to two. And this is where, hey, give Scherzer and Alex Vesey and Joe Kelly credit, even though Scherzer only gave them four and a third. They were figuring it out. So you're up four to two in the seventh. Okay, this is really, really easy. Gratterall pitches the seventh. Trinan pitches the eighth. Jensen pitches the ninth. Boom, we're done. We're out of here. It's 1-1. We're going home. We're in great shape. And we've seen the Dodgers do this over and over and over and over. Just try and get way, way, way too fancy with their pitching. I cannot think of another organization that overthinks things with their pitching like the Dodgers have over these last couple of years, really going back to 2017 World Series game two with Rich Hill. It just, and it keeps hurting them. And you think they learn, but then they get one success out of it. And they said, oh, see here it works, despite the fact that 10 other times it didn't work. And then they just keep trying it again. We saw them force it with Clayton Kershaw on game five of the 2019 NLDS when it wasn't necessary. And to do the same thing here with Julio Urias, who you did not need to use to win this game. Again, it wasn't that hard. Grouter on the seventh, Trent in the eighth, Jansen in the ninth. Depending on where the lineup is, maybe you maneuver. It gives a guy an extra out here or there. But to then bring Trent in the seventh, decide to go Urias in the eighth, it just, it made no sense. It defied logic. And it didn't make sense in the short term. And now it completely screws them for the long term as well. Because now, because you went, Scherzer on short rest in game two, and then used Urias also on short rest to try and come in and get this inning. If they had gone Bueller, you would have had Bueller on full rest in game two, Scherzer on full rest in game three, and Urias on full rest plus a day in game four. Instead, you're now having lined this up, Scherzer on short rest in game two, Bueller on extra rest in game three, and now Urias on three days rest in game four. You could have had all three starters going on full rest plus some, and now the way you organize this, you only have one 
I just, this is just a mismanagement of effort proportions, the bullpen, the starting rotation. And we talk about using starters, relievers, and relievers as starters. You go back and look the 2018 Red Sox and 2019 Nationals. Those are the examples you use. The 2018 Red Sox and 2019 Nationals had awful bullpens. They had to use their starters in relief because they had no better option. The Dodgers are not that team. The Dodgers have the second best bullpen in the major leagues this year. They don't need to do this. And they're doing it anyway, and they're just hurting themselves. Now they're down 2-0, looking at their game four starter coming back on short rest. And now Scherzer's going to pitch on short rest for a second straight outing in game five. This is not a formula for success, and the Dodgers did this to themselves needlessly. So, Urias for game four will be – it'll be on three days, but he threw an inning. So, it will be a, a different situation than if he'd start – you know, because we do have an off day before then all that. But the thing that does stand out with that to me also is game five for them right now is unavoidably another bullpen day, right? It has to be unless they want to use Scherzer on short rest for his second straight start. So the real fear you have now is no, the best case scenario for the Dodgers is that Urias pitches game four down two to one. Either it's pitching game four down two to one or the worst case scenario for the Dodgers is pitching for their lives down three up. And they also have hanging over their head that if he is ineffective or struggles to bounce back from having thrown, because let I know it is throw day, but throw day and I'm going to get out the top of the Braves lineup in a taut, close game and in late innings are not the same thing. If he has to be pulled quickly in game four, at that point, even if it is 2-1, you are then saying you have game five barring weather in L.A., which it, it, let's just say the chances are that game getting rained out are probably pretty slim. You're going to be following up that. Like, if Urias cannot give them a solid four to five at least, any scenario where he gets knocked out early means you're going to effectively have to then do two bullpen days in a row, which against a Braves team who probably also, when I say bullpen day for them, they have guys like Oscar and, you know, Oscar and Noah who can give them some bulk, same way that Gonsolin can give the Dodgers some bulk. But they're doing that where you're saying, okay, they're sitting in the scenario saying, if we have to give them that game, we can give them that game because we'll have our guys ready to go on full rest. The one to me that, that I, I hear you on the Scherzer Bueller and I don't fully understand it. The one I just really don't understand is it the one you're down one Oh, I don't see why you would break glass in case of emergency for your game four starter in that situation. Unless we were, that's, that's, unless we were in a, I completely get it if it's the 12th. If it's the 12th and you say, look, it's the 12th, we've got to give us a guy who can go, I'll allow, you know, that, that, that uh, Nady Ovaldi years ago, a couple of years ago. That scenario makes perfect sense, which is we've done everything we can. Now we just have to throw everything out the window. 
it's almost like from a roster construction standpoint to not have someone that they felt comfortable facing the lefties at the top of the, uh, the, 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 the Braves lineup in that scenario is kind of a, there's a, there's a roster construction issue almost because this is the Dodgers. They should have multiple guys that they're comfortable using in that scenario. That, yeah, that was baffling to me. Again, if you go Gratterall 7, Trinan 8, Jansen 9, and the Braves come back and tie it, and like you said, it's the 10th, 11th, 12th, and you need someone to give you some bulk, then yeah, you turn to Julio Gurus. To use him before you use Gratterall or Jansen, again, just zero sense. And you mentioned roster construction. The Dodgers left David Price off the NLCS roster, and they did bring in two other relievers, Evan Phillips and Justin Brule. Now, are those guys you trust in high leverage? Realistically, probably not. But again, it just should not have been an issue. The Dodgers do this. They overthink their pitching. And these guys are very, very smart. But smart people make poor decisions all the time, normally a result of overthinking or ego or sometimes emotion. Knowing the Dodgers and, and some of the people in this front office, this coaching staff, I don't think it's ego. They just overthink. They overthink consistently about pitching matchups. We saw it last year, even though they won the World Series with the way they handled Dustin May and bring him back on one day's rest to open in the NLDS and almost cost him because they fell into a hole. It was completely needless and really kind of set them back for the NLCS once Clayton Kershaw got hurt. They do things they don't need to do, and sometimes it hurts them. And more often than not, it has hurt them. I mean, the 2017 World Series, the way they manage game two, set them back and crushed them. 2018, it's a little bit debatable. That Red Sox team was just so much better than that Dodgers team. I don't know if there's anything they could have really done, but there were some questionable decisions. 2019, horrible decisions, knocked them out of the playoffs. And now again, 2021, they're down 2-0 with their pitching in shambles. They do not have great options anymore to start game four, game five. I'm not going to sit here and say the Dodgers can't come back and win this series. They absolutely can. We've seen teams come back from 2-0 a lot, especially looking dead in the water after 2-0. But they're not in great position here. And at the end of the day, it's management's job to put their players in the best position to win. And Dodgers management, front office, coaching staff, everyone involved in these decisions has failed to do that. And that's on them. Now, the thing I will say for the Dodgers, if you're a Dodgers fan, why is there hope here? I think the other thing that comes out after these two games, and don't misunderstand me, Braves fans, if you're listening to this, the Braves have won two games, credit to them. The Dodgers are down 2-0 in this series after two games where if they just, some of it is bad at-bats with runners on, but the amount of runners that they've had on compared to the Braves kind of tells you one of these lineups is probably better than the other, and the team that's down 0-2 has the better lineup. In game one, the Braves were one for two with runners in scoring position. That's a two, not 12, two. The, the Dodgers were one for eight. Yesterday, in the game yesterday, the Dodgers were one for 10 with runners in scoring position. The Braves were two for six. The Dodgers have had many opportunities. The Dodgers could have had a chance to blow this game open early yesterday. Ian Anderson, to his credit, settled down. That said, they had opportunities after that. And there were a lot of cases, give credit to the Braves bullpen, give credit to pitch selection, where they were throwing change-ups. I felt like a lot of times 
two Dodgers hitters who were looking in two strikes for fastballs, and they got them to swing over changeups. But all that said, the, the Braves have had very few chances to score in this series so far. They've just managed to make almost every one of them count. The Dodgers have had seemingly countless chances to score, and they've really struggled to make any of them count. That's been a fascinating aspect. So if you told me, if you told me how do the Dodgers win this series, even with their pitching situation being a little bit in disarray, the simple answer is, is that they may end up outscoring the Braves because this lineup, even with the injury to Max Muncy, even with Justin Turner being banged up, all those things, all those things involved, the Dodgers have a better lineup. And they just have failed to get that. The Last night was an example. The Braves got every key hit. Bruce Nargaraderol, and I get why they pulled him, because he, as you noted last night, lefties and righties, very different situations. Asking Dansby Swanson to bunt Bruce Nargaraderol has to be, to me, that, that is one of the toughest assignments ever. It's like, by the way, just understand, wherever you aim to bunt that ball, just know that about four inches, it's going to come in on your hands, and we may lose you to a broken finger no matter how well you execute this bunt. To his credit, he didn't, even though he didn't advance the runner. But the Braves got every executed every time they had to. But that said, I still feel like the Dodgers lineup's better than the Braves. There's no question. This is a better, more dangerous, more explosive lineup, however you want to measure it. But again, give the Braves credit for timely hits. They've made fewer mistakes than the Dodgers have. And base running. Uh, game one, Chris Taylor gets caught between second and third. You just feel from there, it's a rough mistake. He knows it. He admitted it. And the Braves took advantage of it. Maybe that game turns out very, very differently if he holds up at second or keeps going to third. He did the worst of the two things, which was stop in the middle. But the Dodgers have had chances. As you mentioned, they were one for 10 with runners in scoring position last night. And it's very, very, very difficult to win any game. You're one for 10 with runners in scoring position. So that is the route back. But the way they're pitching, Walker Bueller now some extra rest against Charlie Morton. They have a very good chance to win game three. It's what happens in game four and game five. Even if this offense wakes up, the Braves are going to have some great opportunities here to put up five spots, six spots, depending on if Walker Bueller pitches deep into the game, which let's be clear, he needs to. If Walker Bueller gives the Dodgers five good innings in game three, that's not enough. They need seven from him. After a bullpen game in game one, and then the bullpen covering four and a third, using five arms to get that in game two, they need Bueller to take him deep. They need seven from him. Uh, they won't how- get it. It's my prediction. <laughs> I mean, I, he, I he's capable that. of it, but it's a matter of are they going to let him do it. And some of that's going to depend on how the game plays out, what the score is, if they need to pull him for a pinch hitter. I mean, they need innings from Walker Bueller. Five is not going to cut it. Six, maybe optimally, they need seven. We'll see what happens. But the Dodgers have not done themselves any favors, and the Braves have taken advantage of every opportunity. That has them in a great spot. And that's why this is a series that's 2-0. That's why the Braves right now are the team that's sitting pretty. I, I will say with the Braves, you noted, they did walk nine guys in game two. Mentioning Anderson, three innings. I mean, three hits, two runs, three walks. That's not the outing you want from him. So seeing what they can do just in terms of cutting down some of those free base runners, because it's not all the Dodgers going up there and rack up hit after hit after hit. The Dodgers only had four hits yesterday. The Braves walked nine guys. That's something that, to me, is going to be worth watching. The other thing I would just say, the one earth aspect from this series that's been fascinating to me is, as I mentioned it briefly, but 
we've seen it as overall, like you've written about this during the season, there are free bases to be had in the postseason with base stealing. And we are seeing right now uh, kind of, I guess, the extreme version of teams who only – stolen bases is largely – if you want to geek out on it, I love geeking out on stolen bases and how there's a math problem component to it. You roughly know how long it takes your guy to get from first to second for each player. You roughly know, on average, how long it takes the pitcher to go from handbrake to home. You roughly know how long it takes the catcher to throw. Teams now, if the math does not work, they will not go. But teams also know if the math does work, we're seeing in the postseason, especially with the Dodgers, they are going. We are now, the Dodgers are 11 for 11 on stolen bases this postseason. The Astros are six for six. That, <laughs> those kind of, there are extra bases to be had, which all of a sudden put you in scoring position. Right now, as we stand here, the Rays were thrown out once, the White Sox were thrown out once. It is overall, I believe I worked the numbers last night, 27 for 29 teams are on stolen bases this year yep. in the postseason. 27 for 29. The break-even point for success, like it being useful, is sub hovers in the 75, depending on situation, you could argue maybe 80% at the max. We're way beyond that right now. Teams are really putting themselves in better positions because of base stealing. That's one of the things to watch for in the rest of this series as well. I say that partly because there was a few years ago that Tyler Flowers and the Braves, the Braves have kind of, viewed it as, as many teams do, framing and all is much more important. I will never forget the year that Tyler Flowers, I think, threw out like two for the Braves, like two of 54 or something like it was like they were 52 of 54 against him for the year. It's not the most important part of the game compared to some of the other aspects of catching. That said, the Dodgers are finding free bases on the base pass right now. And it's been something I've been waiting for teams to kind of figure out as I wrote about it. As we've seen teams become less and less apt to steal bases teams have responded defensively catchers hey framing is more important receiving is more important let's get on one knee don't worry about throwing out the runner because honestly they're not going anyway and it's always been a thing to me where especially as we've seen as that's happened catcher arms have gotten worse i wrote about it in the may issue i believe it was it's up online now how the number of catchers with sub one nine pop times has gone down dramatically this is the best environment to steal bases arguably in major league history you have catchers who are more focused on framing or being down on one knee and just don't have the arm strength they used to. And teams have been so reticent to steal. It's been kind of mind boggling to me. We're finally seeing, Hey, we're getting essentially, like you said, free bases now, because we're facing a lot of catchers who just are not in position to throw guys out, be smart about it. But we're finally seeing teams start to run like they should and take advantage of it. And for the Dodgers, it's a great, great thing. Now they just need to work on getting some of those timely hits to get those guys in instead of stranding them. Uh, but yeah, 27 for 29 in the postseason so far, and there's no reason to slow down. We'll see what happens, but it's going to be a very interesting rest of the series. I will be out at Dodger Stadium for games three and four and potentially game five. We'll see what happens. I mean, JJ, how much faith do you have the Dodgers can come back and win this just given their pitching situation. We talked about it at the top of the podcast that it's a different situation than last year. I mean, what is your confidence level right now that they will actually win this? That the Braves win this or that the, Dodgers? the Dodgers? Oh, I think the Braves, I mean, it's it's 2-0 with 
I said coming into this series, I thought it was 55% Dodgers, 45% Braves. At this point, I'd say it's 60% Braves, 40% Dodgers, like to win this series. Because you're generous. Duo, you're generous. Duo, but no, you want to know mine? the Dodgers. To me, sure, 90, to me, it's 90-10 Braves. No the chance. Dodgers no are, chance it's 90-10. No chance. I think that the, Do- the Dodgers can win, but they're in a big hole here. Down 2-0 with starting pitching, that's but, a mess. They put themselves in an awful position. If you just, I mean, again, I'm, I'm a math geek in a lot of this. If you just work out the numbers, even with the matchups, even with the bullpen and the bullpenning and all that, the Dodgers have to win four of the next five, five. games. Mm-hmm. Right. That if you, the Dodgers were a hundred, you know, there, and again, uh, the totality of the season doesn't matter as much anymore, but you look at this Dodgers team, I promise you against quality teams, there were multiple examples of them winning four out of five throughout the season. Like, no question, but their pitching was not in the shape it was now because they weren't doing foolish things. They didn't have two of those three guys going on short rest, and they also had Clayton Kershaw most of the year. The fact that they're without Kershaw, they're going to be asking two guys to throw on what is essentially short rest because these bullpen appearances are not the same as a side session. It's more stress, higher intensity, higher emotion, all of it. They're in trouble. They have to go in four or five games with only having one starter on regular rest. That's just not a good formula for success. Again, ten percent. If you say that there's a ten percent chance of something uh, happening, that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. There's a there's a chance. It's a very slim it, chance. If you run like the analytics on it, the analytics on it right now is running that it's about basically between sixty five and seventy percent. I think uh, Braves to win this series, which I think is like mathematically that makes plausible sense to me. And they are allowing for the rotation stuff, all that. But I mean, the Do- the, the Dodgers are the underdogs now, and the thing that's, as we also talked about in our preview pod on this, was the Braves are not the same team right now as the team that didn't come close to winning nearly as many games as the Dodgers. The Dodgers, in some ways, aren't the same team because that team had Max Muncy. You know, the Dodgers are not the same team either. That's going to be like when we get to talking about the ALCS, I think that we could talk about this kind of they're not the same thing team even way more, but I do look at it and say, but I, if you told me that we are talking on later this week after game five, and it is three, two Braves going to the final two games of the series where at that point, the Dodgers would be uh, essentially having that they would have gotten through the worst part of their, Oh, we have to get our pitching there. If you told me it was 3-2 Braves coming back to Atlanta, but then the Dodgers would have reasonably useful pitching set up for the last two games, wouldn't shock me at all. We'll see what they can do. Again, a lot's going to hinge on Walker Bueller not only pitching well, but pitching deep in game three and hopefully giving this bullpen some rest because that's another component that's desperately needed here as well. All right, JJ, we're going to move over to the ALCS, but first we're going to take a quick break. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. And we're back. All right, JJ. So we've spent a lot of time talking about Dodgers Braves and understandably so two walk-off wins, thrilling games all the way around. The Red Sox and Astros over in the ALCS are tied at one game apiece. And the Astros, just to be frank, they're in a little bit of trouble here. They lost Lance McCullers in the final game of the ALDS. He is not on the ALCS roster. Game two, they lose Luis Garcia, their starting pitcher, who's going to win some Rookie of the Year votes after Framar Valdez did not go very long in game one. We talk about the Dodgers and their starting pitching issues. They at least have guys they can go put on the mound. They're just tired. The Astros are in rough shape here. They're going to start Jose Urquidy in game three. But if Garcia is down for long, it's rough. How do you look at this series right now? And I know going in, we both picked the Astros to win it, but things can turn very, very quickly. And all of a sudden, it's looking a little rough for them. No team. There's not a team in baseball. If, if Luis Garcia is done for this series, and we do not know, I, I hope, just as a baseball fan, and also you don't want people to be hurt, I hope that we find that Garcia can pitch again in this series. If he goes on the IL here, if they remove him from the roster, which means that he would also be out for the World Series, that would tell you that, I mean, that's significant, a significant injury of some sort. But no team in baseball can really weather well losing their number one and number two starters in a one-week span during the postseason. It's just, there's no scenario where you go, oh, no, 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 we're prepped for that. We can handle that. And it's, again, not just the Astros. Take, we just talked about the Dodgers. Okay, the Dodgers could put David Price, if this situation happened to them on the roster. They already have Kershaw out. Although I would say that Kershaw was their number three this year. But they wouldn't be able to weather that well. The Braves, the Red Sox, take your pick. 
none of these teams can weather losing your ace and your number two, especially in the way that it happened where the Astros knew they were without Lance McCullers. But then to have Luis Garcia go down early in game two, the only thing that I found puzzling about that as we all sat through a lengthy uh, Jake Odorizzi uh, warm-up session was I, I don't think it affected the game necessarily. I don't, but maybe because he did give up a grand slam. I don't know why the Astros in that scenario didn't say we're going to get a reliever up still have them go through as long as they need to get ready, but we're going to bring in Yimmy Garcia or take your pick of who and say at that point, Jake, we need you to basically be a starter in this game. Start your process. And if that means you're ready for the third, we'll bring you for the third. If that means you're not ready till the fourth, we'll bring you out for the fourth. But we're going to get you to that point by using relievers who are accustomed to getting up. Okay, I got to get ready. I've got five minutes to really get, get warm. Here I go. Do that and do it that way rather than say we're bringing Odorizzi in in the, in the second like they did where it, it did really uh, – that first inning is the one that didn't work for him. And I do wonder from that standpoint, if that was probably, you know, at that point, he's relieving whichever way you do it and you need bulk innings out of him. I just don't find that the bulk innings saying you're going to pitch the fourth through eighth is any different from that than the second through sixth. That said, they were already down in that game even before all this happened. And that said, the real problem they have now is, is they don't have – if Garcia can't go again in the series, all of a sudden the, the Red Sox do look like they have the, the stronger rotation. I would say Framber Valdez is their number two ahead of Garcia, but Garcia is a huge part of their plans. I mean, realistically, the way you have to attack this if Garcia is out for a lengthy period of time is – you have Jose Arquiti starting today, and then you say, hey, Christian Javier and Jake Odorizzi, you're our game's four and five starters. Get ready. That's what they're going to have to do potentially. And the fact that the series is tied one-to-one going back to Boston isn't really a surprise. Uh, we talked about this in our ALCS preview podcast that Nate Uvalde on the mound in game two, that's edge Red Sox all the way. You felt pretty good about that one. The series has played out so far as you'd expect that they split in Houston. They Red Sox won Yavaldi's game two start. So it's not like the series is vastly different than we expected purely from a win-loss perspective, but the Astros rotation being in the shape it's in, it's not good. Again, this is the kind of offense that can put up a seven, eight, nine, ten 10 spot. And maybe that's how they win these next couple games. If they win a couple slugfests, 10-9, 11-8, stuff like that. Or maybe they get a great performance. We've seen Jose Urquidy pitch well in the postseason before. He's a solid pitcher. You know, going up against Eduardo Rodriguez tonight should be a good matchup. Yeah, I, I there's no way around it. The Astros are definitely in a tough spot right now. Can they win some slugfest? The answer is yes. So I don't think they're out of it, but things are certainly a little less rosy. Not that they ever looked overly rosy once Lance McCullers went down, but things are not looking quite as good as they did. Uh, Javier, they could try to start him, but I mean, we'll note that Javier has not, they, he has not been a starter for them 
since very early in the season, and they have not asked him to really go anything further than three innings in multiple months. And that would so, be the kind of start I'm talking about, like a th- right. three inning. He's done some fours, loads have been a while. That would be the kind of start we're talking about. Yeah, you're not asking him to go out and throw seven like he was doing in May. Same way, I, the logical other one would be Zach Greinke, but they also, Greinke hasn't been great, but also on top of that, with Greinke, they have kind of ramped him down to the point where he's not really stretched out to where now he's, he's a veteran of all veterans at this point. And so maybe he can go a little further than you think he probably should go at this point, but he hasn't gone 40 pitches in a game in quite a while at this point as well. So they, they, the other option is, is that they put Garcia on the injured list and, but they don't have any good options to kind of plug in off of their taxi squad either and say, hey, you're going to go multiple innings. You hit on it. The key thing for them now is if the Astros are going to win this series, it's going to be that their lineup says we are mighty and we will pummel our way to the World Series. Whereas if you look at, I think this is also a very good Red Sox lineup, but you look at it right now, the Red Sox just simply are healthier than the Astros right now. But you are right. I I do think the Astros still have a path here, mainly because if if they're if these games are nine to eight, the fact that you don't have starting pitchers is not going to be nearly as important as if it's three to two. And this could be a nine eight type series the rest of the way. Yeah, to your point, and again, it seems weird saying Christian Javier and not mentioning Zach Greinke, but Greinke has not thrown more than 45 pitches in a game since September 19th. It's been almost a month, and he really, really, really struggled those last few outings. You love Zach Greinke. You respect what he's done. It's just tough. He gave up 21 hits and 20 earned runs in his final 15 to third innings the regular season. Christian Javier is more stretched out right now than Zach Greinke is, which again, seems crazy or weird, but it's the truth. Right. What, what, I, the thing what, is, is a Javier hasn't gone more than, he's gone more than 50 pitches once since uh, the start of July. And that was 54. So like you said, in either case, you don't have someone. Well, he went, they're still seeing, you know, he went 45 on October 1st. He just threw two scoreless 37, 45, 50. I mean, those numbers are higher than Greinke who threw 28 on October 3rd and through one inning in his one postseason appearance so, and through 21 pitches. So at this point, it's just Javier's – neither of these guys is overly stretched out, but Javier's more stretched out than Granke is. Right. It just – in either case, though, you're looking at, like you said, it is more about bulk innings in a bullpen-type game. I don't fault the Astros for this. This is what I'm trying to say. You can't prep for this. You can't prep for, oh, McCullers went down and then Garcia. The hope is, if you're the Astros, we don't know for sure yet. He left with a with knee discomfort. We don't know for sure that this isn't something that he can't come back from later in the, the series. And if he does, if this was something that flared up on him, he didn't throw that many innings. So the arm is relatively fresh. It's just a matter of whether the knee is going to get in the way or not. Now, you also, I will also say, you want to be very careful about this. As much as this is the postseason, you want to win. Luis Garcia is a young pitcher with a very bright future ahead of him. Knee injuries 
can be the kind of thing that forces you to modify your mechanics, your delivery, which can then lead to cascade effects. You have to be very cautious with something like that. You can't just say, oh, it's a knee injury. It's not his arm. No big deal. Let's just keep throwing it. That's going to be huge, seeing the diagnosis. But uh, both these series, they've taken turns for different reasons. In the Astros, it's been injuries. There's no blame to go around anywhere. Things happen, and it's tough, tough, tough blows. And now it's about seeing if they can withstand them. Uh, for the Dodgers, it's about hoping and praying that Max Scherzer and Julio Urias can give you good starts on short rest and that this bullpen gets a little bit of a break, hopefully with Walker Bueller in game three. JJ, any final thoughts as we get ready here? The one last thing I wanted to say is, is uh, I feel like this postseason, though, I, we've been talking about positive and negative, but it seems like a lot of what we've talked about is, is, oh, this could be done better. Oh, the injuries, all that. It's been a great postseason at the same time. Like, yesterday's Dodgers-Braves game was thrilling. The game one of the Dodgers-Braves series was thrilling. Okay, game two of the Red Sox-Astros, kind of got out of hand but give Astros credit they then slowly (laughs) just kept working their way back into it it wasn't something where they said oh we're down we've given up eight runs in the first two innings on the first ever back-to-back inning grand slams in postseason history well on to game three because as we said this is a relentless Astros offense they worked their way back into the game I feel like the postseason so far, to end it on a positive note, you don't have to be a fan of one of these teams to really enjoy what we're watching right now. This has been a very enjoyable postseason with a lot of really enjoyable games. And that has me very excited about game threes and beyond coming up. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you go back to the NL wildcard game, Chris Taylor with a walk-off home run, everything that took place during that Giants-Dodgers series. We saw the Astros and White Sox put up some big, big run totals. The Red Sox race was full of drama, particularly in game three. Uh, this has been a great postseason so far. And as you said, anytime you get two walk-offs in the first two games of a championship series, it's exciting. And you know the best is still to come with a lot of these teams going to be fighting for their lives now. We still have the World Series to go, which is always great. So, There's no question. This has been an incredible postseason. JJ, it's been fun wrapping it up with you each morning here. We're going to continue having these playoff podcasts here at BaseballAmerica.com. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For JJ Cooper, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Mm